welcome back to another episode of Operation Sequel. We're going to be talking about Final Fantasy IV today. The usual stats out of the way, in Japan it released in July 1991, and on November in 1991 it released in North America. Now poor Europe, Europe had to wait until February 2002 to be able to play this classic, which is kind of weird actually. But yeah, those poor guys. Uh, the usual team is behind this for the most part. In the director's slot we still got Hironobu Sakaguchi. Uh, the designer was Takashi Tokita. Of course, Yoshitaka Omano still doing all the wonderful artwork. This was written by both Sakaguchi again and Tokita. The music is, of course, Nobuo Uemetsu. Now, this has received a, a ton of ports. I mean, it's available on the Super Nintendo, the PlayStation, the Wonderswan Color, the Game Boy Advance. Uh, the Game Boy Advance is where it got remade with a better localization. Then it also was remade on the DS, and that DS remake has a couple different ports like iOS, Android, and Windows. I played on the PSP Final Fantasy IV Complete compilation, which I believe, unless I'm mistaken, it's a port of the Game Boy Advance game with the After Years and Interlude also thrown in there. I will talk about those later. Just to give credit where credit is due, the port that I played was done by Tosa. And if you don't know about Tosa, reading about them is very interesting. They, they just kind of did a lot of, well, both good and bad stuff behind the scenes. But they don't take a lot of credit for it. They're kind of a shadow developer. So yeah, if you don't know about them, check it out. It is kind of interesting. This time, instead of reading from the manual, since I do have an actual physical guide for Final Fantasy Advance, I figured I'll read a little beginning blurb out of there. No one has gained more from the advent of the airship than the Kingdom of Baron. Its mighty airship fleet, known as the Red Wings, has no equal. For years, the fleet was used only for peaceful purposes, but that has begun to change. For reasons he refuses to reveal, King Baron has ordered it to claim at any cost the crystals held by other nations. Commander Cecil of the Red Wings is no longer willing to shed innocent blood on blind faith alone. Together with Cain, his friend and rival, and Rosa, the white mage who secretly loves him, he intends to discover the truth behind King Baron's obsession. Now, along with those three, you, you do, of course, run into a couple other characters. I think 12, all said and done. So as I generally tend to state at the beginning of these, the remaster that I played it on, I did play it on a PSTV instead of a Vita so I could enjoy the, the music a little more. But the music is of course wonderful, both the original and the remaster. They're very almost overplayed, but they're, they're that way for a reason. They are fantastic songs. Uh, one of the first things that I did notice playing this was, uh, it's nice to be back to the crystals, even though we were just there with three. It, it, it seems like this is the start of a new era. Well, trilogy if you include Mystic Quest. But it's nice to see that right again we're starting off with crystals. This does add quite a few things. The active time battle system is kind of janky to go back to, to be honest with you. I forgot how quick it was and sometimes how forgiving it is if if you forget. You know, if you have the spell list menu open or item list menu open, it pauses. If you have it on the wait setting. If you don't, it just they just keep continuing to attack you. And some on some fights like Odin or the Ahiramon that casts Doom on you, the boss fight, I can't remember his name, I think it's Plague. Uh, it can get very hard to get in the required number of actions in order to win before you just get pummeled. So it, it has a very fast, very brisk pace to it, and that is that is excellent. Uh, which might be why it took me a lot less time to finish this. I clocked in a little under 19 hours, and I did do the optional stuff. Like I got, I didn't get the Adamant suit, but I did get Excalibur. I did get uh, all the optional summons of Bahamut, uh, Asura, and, oh, I can't remember his name. Leviathan, there we go. 
Wow. But yeah, so so it, it's not a hefty game length. Now, going back into this, I didn't remember much about this. I mean, of course, I remember a lot of the characters. Uh, I only remembered, like, big broad strokes, because I haven't played this in, well, since, since I was young. So probably, let's say, 94, 95-ish. I remembered big things, like, I remember the moon was here, and I remember thinking it was cool as a kid, but looking back on it, it was like, wow, that seems incredibly stupid. I remember uh, Cecil changing from a Dark Knight to a Paladin, and I remember, like, just some obscure things, like the Demon Wall boss, because I think I, I, you know, ran up against that really hard as a kid. So this, it wasn't exactly fresh, but I had forgotten a lot about it. I mean, you do read a lot about this, so there were some floating things out there in the ether that I sort of remembered, but I couldn't remember if it was from my experience or just reading about this all the time. One of the things I like about this is the summons take a larger role. Here they're called Eidolons, but they're basically summons. In all the versions of the game, they aren't very spectacular to look at, which made me a little sad. Like, like... Shiva just looks kind of awful, and even big things like uh, Bahamut, they just do not look very imposing. But that's fine because they do their damage, they get off the screen, it's not, you know, Knights of the Round either. They're taking forever. But nothing as cool as like, uh, one of my favorite ones was always Diabolos. So I mean, nothing like that cool. Now, I, I do know that there's a lot of hatred for the art style of the way the, the complete collection looks, and I gotta say, I can't get aboard that train. I really like the way the remaster looks. It looks a little silly, a little storybooky, but everything is nice, it's clean, and it just adds a flavor to the world that the original didn't have. I mean, the original, the, the pixel art they had was fantastic, right? I mean, they did a lot of great work on that, but I, I something about the way this looks always drew it to me, especially the bosses. I like the way the bosses look, they're very clean. Like, I, I guess now's as good a time as any. I don't like Amano's artwork in terms of the concept art he'll draw. I don't like all those rough sketch lines. I like very clean, very bold. Now, onto some of the characters, right? Like, going back to this, I remember thinking Cecil as a, sorry, Cecil, as a badass Dark Knight, right? Going back to it now, he's a bit of just a whining, brooding lump. Doesn't do much. And I actually ended up disliking the character as a Dark Knight. Now, Sid, this is one of my favorite Sids. Absolutely love this Sid. He's just some crazy bearded guy in a weird helmet that likes to just explode things. I am down with that. I love that Sid. Kane, Kane is very much almost a repeat of Final Fantasy II, with that starts off as part of the group, but then betrays you until later on in the game, and it comes back and he helps it. That actually didn't impress me very much. They've done it before, but they did it much better here. So this isn't so much an innovation as much as it is a refinement of that type of story. Rosa and Rydia didn't leave that much of a mark on me. I like Rydia because, well, you know, she's a summoner and I got a very soft spot for summoners. But I kind of put them in the same categories like Yang. They don't do much for me character-wise, but again, I like Yang because he's a monk. So, you know, that's awesome. By far, my favorite characters were Palom and Poram. I remember disliking them as a kid because it's like when you watch cartoons, you know, they always insert those kids that are supposed to be, you know, your point of view because they're kids and you're, I, I just ended up bouncing off of them as a kid. But now, now I think they might be my favorite character, especially Porum. I, I just like the snark that he exudes. Even Edge, I mean, as a kid, all you have to say is ninja and I'm behind it. But now he's kind of just there. Uh, I actually ended up liking Edward a little more, Ed, the Edward and Tella 
the way they played off each other was really nice, which I guess leads me to the point of uh, the way they tell story in battle scenes, it kind of works. I like it a lot better than just two standard sprites spinning and hopping and talking to each other. It adds a little bit more weight to it, especially with when you see the Zero Miss and then Golbez and Fusoya fight at the end where they're, I mean, yeah, dual comets gets old after a while. Not comets, I'm sorry, Meteor. The way they're just meteor back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, that gets old after a while, but the way it made, didn't make it profound or anything, but it made it more enjoyable rather than just, you know, spinning sprites. Uh, town names, I think, are really stupid in this. I, I don't like, it's just mist and barren. I don't know, it, it just got to me after a while. I mean, some of them are fine. Some of them are, are like cave ordeals. That's not very evocative. I mean, things like Fabul and Mesidia, they're fine because they're just, you know, fantasy town names, but having a town named Mithril is just kind of boring to me. One thing I, I didn't check to see if it was in the original as well as the remasters, because again, memory's hazy. The overworld music starts over after every battle, and that is that is very annoying after a while. Like, first 30 seconds of that overworld theme, man, I think it is blazed into my head for all of eternity. I think it's going to be tough from here on out because a lot of these don't have auto battle. And I still find auto battle, even if just uses the fast forward button to skip some of the animations, I've really come to lean on that. I like that quite a bit. Some things that still hit me, and I guess this is flipping over a little bit into the story section, but as per usual, we'll flip back and forth as my brain decides. Uh, the story scene where between Cecil Kane and when you get to the town of Summoners, how, you know, the, the ring comes out, all the bombs go out and you just rip this town apart. I completely forgot about that. And that was, that was a little bit of a surprise. It was, it was a nice surprise and I'm glad I didn't remember that. The story was really slow moving for a while. I, I would say it wasn't until you get to Fabul where it finally started to pick up, like it finally started to, to grip me more. Although one thing I didn't remember was I forgot how little time you actually spend as a Dark Knight. Like that switch from Dark Knight to Paladin really didn't do much for me this time because you ended up not spending a lot of time as a Dark Knight. I really think they should have saved that for like maybe once you get to the underworld and find those crystals. I think that would have been a great time to do it because by that time you're used to Cecil being a Dark Knight and it's kind of who his character is. But here it's like you get a little taste of him brooding and all emo and then you're changed. There's not really much to get into the character of the Dark Knight. One of the things I, I did notice here is, and I can't say I noticed this as a kid because you're dumb, the theme of failure is a running thread throughout this game. Like, as Cecil, you fail to stop the king. And then as Cain, you fail to resist Golbez. And, and even all the crystals, you just barely fail all the time to get the crystals before Golbez does. Uh, Tella also fails to protect Anna. I mean, people are constantly failing in this, and, and it's almost a story of how do you move on and pick back up after you fail. And now that I'm an adult, that, that is a very cool thread. I would love to see a game explore that more. Because as main characters, you're always used to winning. And even though you try your hardest, you're overleveled, you pound the boss, all that stuff, you still end up failing. And I like that. I wish sometimes they could be a little bit more competent, but that theme of failure running through everything was very interesting for me to see this time. Also on the failure thing is Kane, right? I, I, I mentioned this briefly before, but he has no motivations in the game. There's hints that he, you know, there's the jealousy of that love triangle between Cecil, Rosa, and Kane. But it, it doesn't seem like he has a lot of motivation for doing what he does. Like at the ending, why 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 wasn't he there? He, he could have been there. They just seem like it was a cool idea that they didn't quite flesh out very much. Speaking of things they didn't flesh out very much is all the deaths. Um, well, I can't say deaths, 
but that's what they want you to think. Like with uh, Sid jumping off the airship, or, or Tella. Tella and Palom and Porum are the only ones I think really worked, because those were really the only situations you couldn't get out of. Like, I don't see why Yang couldn't run out the door after all the explosions, or Sid couldn't drop the explosives. A lot of the sacrifices the characters make that they love to make in Final Fantasy games didn't make sense here. Palom and Porum still got me, like I completely forgot about all that, and it was still, you know, it didn't hit me in the feels or anything, but it, it still made it a little bit more profound. Same with Tella, I like that he didn't die sacrificing himself for you, he died for revenge, and he didn't, again, he failed at it. I like that, that, that seems a very human thing to do. Now, as a child, uh, I was around 10 years old in 95, depending on the month. And this game was, ended up being very special to me, but in a very ancillary way, right? So it was, in 95, you had startings of the internet. So, I mean, I remember using web crawlers. So maybe maybe it wasn't, maybe it was 95. I can't remember when it came out. But this was the first game I, I really cracked into when I had somewhat easy access to the internet. And so for a lot of these things, I, I Googled them, right? Well, now I say Google, but I, I searched into them, Lycos them, web crawler them, whatever, ask Jeeves them. Especially some of the, the names I couldn't pronounce or the, the names I didn't know. But when I, when I searched for the boss names, especially, uh, and forgive me if I mispronounce these, uh, Scarmelion, Cagnazzo, Rubicante, and Barbaricia. When I googled those names, if you know where they're from, you, you'll kind of get to where I'm going. But I didn't realize those were all demons from the Divine Comedy, otherwise known as Dante's Inferno. And what, they're demons of the Malabranche, I believe is how you pronounce it. Don't kill me for that one. But because of this game is why I read Dante's Inferno, or Divine Comedy. And yeah, as a 10 year old, that's, that's a little heavy reading, but in my little kid brain, I thought somehow it would match up. Like, oh, they're from this book, so that means they must be linked somehow. <laughs> no, they really don't. But that book led me to, oh wow, this, this old story's really cool, let me read other stuff. I ended up reading the Odyssey, and the Odyssey, in some weird direction, led me towards Dragonlance, and I ended up reading all of these, well, except for Dragonlance, really classic books, mainly because of this game and that simple tie to uh, Scarmelion. And once you, I, I've read all of those, it's great to see how they use them in video games, because video games goes back to those type of things very often. They're, they're classics, right? They're very evocative. They have great names. They have great designs, if they were described. So a lot of my even current taste in literature, like there's, it might take you a long time. You could probably six degrees of bacon it back to like H.P. Lovecraft. And why I love that is because of Final Fantasy, because I wouldn't have read a lot of older books if it wasn't for me starting with that. So if you're ever playing a Final Fantasy game or, or a Castlevania game or pretty much any game, even The Witcher, right? With like the Leshen. The Leshen is a thing. It's a part of folklore. Just give it a quick Google. You'll be very surprised what rabbit holes it leads you down. And it's cool to think of these uh, these superstitions, these monsters, these stories that people told hundreds and hundreds of years ago. We're still using today, albeit in, in kind of a bastardized fashion. And the, those monsters will suddenly mean more to you because you know where they're from or you know what their story was, even though they're not the same. It's like, you know, you run into... Cthulhu in Symphony of the Night, and yeah, that Cthulhu is not very representative of the Cthulhu, but now that you know that, you're like, oh, okay, I see what they were going for, or even, um, what's the name of the, the thing in Eternal Darkness? Oh, Mantarok. Like, no, Mantarok is not from H.P. Lovecraft, 
But if you read Lovecraft because, say, Castlevania, you know, mentioned Cthulhu, so you start reading Lovecraft, you know, oh, oh, his name wasn't Mantarok, but he's one of he's one of the gods, right? I mean, that that loophole goes around and around. So yes, Final Fantasy IV is very important to me for that very reason. This tied me into a lot of literature and what I love today about mythology. Anyway, off that little rabbit trail. Gameplay-wise, it it flows very quickly. Not not just the battle system, the actual overworld. I mean, you pretty much get told where to go. There are a few spots where you get stuck if you're not really paying attention or if you don't remember. Ooh, you have to go back to Mesidia and go to the prayer tower because they mentioned this a little while ago. But for the most part, it flows into the next spot. You have to go pretty easily. Uh, the Tower of Zot was the first difficulty spike for me, and I think it's because I, did, I didn't grind at all before that point. I just kind of, you know, just kept going snappy, keep it going. I was hoping it'd be something like Final Fantasy II. You really don't need to grind. It kind of moves you along a curve and then stabs you in the back. The tower is also where I ran into something I ran into constantly in this game, and you might too if you play RPGs the way I think most people do. Don't be a hoarder, because you have very limited inventory space. You have 48 spaces in the remake, and everything goes in there. Some story items, your armor, your weapons, your one-use spell items, your healing, you know, all that stuff, it all gets crammed into there. And I had a ton of difficulty managing that, because I forgot, okay, is Yang coming back? Should, should I keep this stuff? I don't, I don't know, do I need it? So I was hoarding everything and it ended up just becoming a frustrating ordeal to deal with all of that stuff. Now, on the plus note, you really don't ever need, I mean, you'll need what you normally need. You'll need some high potions, you'll need some elixirs, some phoenix downs, and that's pretty much it. I mean, you have Cecil that knows Asuna, you have Rosa that knows Asuna, you, you have um, a bunch of ways to clear something off of you, so you don't even need to keep like those Maiden's Kiss for when you get turned into a toad. You really don't need it unless, of course, you just want to use an item heavy build. I'm still a little disappointed to see summons being weaker than most black mage spells. Like summoning Ramu will not be near as powerful as just casting a Blizzaga. Not Blizzaga, I'm sorry, Thundaga. And so I was a little disappointed with that, but that just might be my bias towards summoners. Oh, uh, for the end, I did use a party of Rydia, Porum, or is it Palum, the black mage twin, Rosa, Yang, and Cecil. So I had a pretty magic heavy party that I went with. Uh, it did backfire a little bit, like Rydia was dead the, the entire last boss. But for the most part, it wasn't hard. There wasn't a lot of difficulty other than gimmick fights. Like Dark Bahamut, was, he, was, he was a bit of a beast to get down. That's an optional thing. I, I, I don't view it in that difficulty. The story goes to a lot of places you expect it to. Like as you're playing, you're like, oh, this is probably gonna happen. Even even with Cecil and Golbez being brothers, it's like, I yeah, that doesn't really surprise me. The story did not hold a lot of surprises for me. But here's the interesting thing with Final Fantasy IV. I don't know if I'm feeling that ambivalent towards the story because it's just kind of a meh story. Or if it's because a lot of what this does has now become boilerplate. Like, not just with Final Fantasy, with a lot of stuff. Like, this just screams stereotypical RPG. Now, an interesting side note that I might take is I might try to play a couple other RPGs of the time to see how it stacks up against those. Like, I think, I think Breath of Fire was relatively close to this. I think Lufia was relatively close. I might try playing those. I mean, not like East or anything because they're different battle systems, but I'm not sure how much of this is just boilerplate or if it's 
Well, it's so good, it's become the norm. I mean, there are some crazy stuff, right? Like going to the moon in anything that just screams stupid. Kind of does here too. Like, like as soon as they start mentioning the moon and the Lunarians, you're like, ah, oh, crap, that's right. This thing has the moon. I mean, I would have preferred something from Final Fantasy three where there was a different continent or even, you know, borrow from Zelda, do a light world, dark world thing. That would have been much better. But as soon as you mention the moon, my brain just kind of starts to laugh. So, I mean, that's a bit of a problem. This does do the same thing as Final Fantasy towards the end. Final Fantasy 3, sorry. You know, you, you see a cutscene where your party is just all out of hope. They're down, they're out, about to get killed, and then everybody, everybody you've met on your journey meets up and they all pray and their power goes towards you. That, again, there's that theme from Final Fantasy 3. Otherwise, I gotta say, the ending puts a really nice bow on it, right? You, you pretty much see everybody and what they continue to do after the ending of the game. So I'm very curious as to why they made the after years. Like I, I don't, I don't have a lot of the hate for. Oh, they never should have made this just a, a sacred cow. It's their game. You know, let them do what they want with it. But I'm curious to see where it goes. Now I didn't play it for this, and I didn't play Interlude for this. But I do plan on checking back. I don't know if I'm gonna make a little like mini Coda review for those. I'm not sure, but we'll see where that goes. As for what I think, I guess. What I can say is what I felt for Link to the Past on the Zelda podcast of how, yes, everybody should play this. This it, it, Even if it doesn't blow your socks off, it's so important. I kind of feel that way about Final Fantasy IV, which is interesting that the two franchises, as soon as they hit the Super Nintendo, out of the gate fast. Now, the interesting thing with Final Fantasy is six. Six is held in really high regard, even above four. So I'm wondering how I'm going to feel about six once I get to it if I feel this way about 4. I don't think that if you don't like RPGs, Final Fantasy 4 will change your mind. I mean, it might be brisk enough to, but I don't think it will. It definitely won't in terms of story or any, you know, graphics or living world. It won't, it won't do that. But I think for what it is, I have no problem going back and playing it again at some point. It was very painless and it was just fun. Like I was actually kind of dreading it because I am getting into games on other systems. Like I take a little bit of a break between them. Like I'm not going to jump right into Ocarina, but it, it was nice. I guess the best way I can describe it is fun and that's pretty much it. Alright, so there's that out of the way. So yeah, you know what, if you feel like an RPG and you don't want to put 70 hours, 50 hours, or even 25 hours into it, give this a shot. It's worth it. Alright, and that closes it up for me here. I guess we'll see you next time on Ocarina of Time. Speaking of time, see ya!